Open shop with a quarter, you know it. keep a block for the order On the block, three or four, five days, I ain't worried about the order I'm just trying to meet the quota, piss and spot on the sofa Almost died probably six, seven times, I ain't worried about Corona I keep a gun while I'm touring, I, I keep a gun while performing I, I keep a gun in the fork, hope you don't think you important Hundred thousand for the re-up, I can really kick my feet up Niggas really about to be up, nigga really about them heaters uh, Nigga quit rap, I'm back Strong, no cap, just run laps, no nap. Just find a bag, no map. Give a head nod, no dap. Give a head tap, no rats. Remember, I ain't had no packs. Remember, I ain't had no racks. Just two bags in the bag. Suited up black on black. Put the op up, take that. Then I do the race, race track. Hit the dealership, rape that. I was in the hoop way back. Now I'm in the coupe made back. And I ain't got the roof in Growing up without a popper, made me a shooter on mama. I'm a killer on Nana. Niggas geeking off of pills and bottles Off of coke, I made a million dollars I was just trying to get a whopper And Burger King, I lost a quarter pounder Open shop with a quarter Keep a block for the order On the block, three or four, five days I ain't worried about the order I'm just trying to meet the quota Pissy spot on the sofa Almost died five or six, seven times I ain't worried about Corona I keep a gun while I'm touring I keep a gun while I perform I keep a gun in the form Hope you don't think you important Hundred thousand for the re-up I can really kick my feet up Niggas really about to be up Nigga really about them heaters uh. Alright And we are live What is up YouTube uh, Boxing family And you And um Podcasting family it is I, K-Rod here. I am back with another good post-fight weekend recap of the Janabek versus Danny Dignam and the David Benavides versus David Lemieux fight card. And yeah, let's get right to it. Uh, I have a lot to say, and it's going to be a very, very interesting uh, talk of uh, how I've seen these fights go. Um... I think honestly, just uh, based off of like what we were seeing, you know, out of these fight cards, um, it really had a lot of good um, publicity interests. And um, I think the great thing about uh, these fights was that uh, they definitely displayed some good, high-level young talent. And um, I just have to say. Uh, that's really what boxing really needed because boxing should really, you know, generate let the best fight and uh, the best uh, consistently, and that's something that I have to give um, credit where credit is uh, due. But as far as you know, the fight cards, um, let's get right to it. Um, I'll probably start with the Janabek card because I don't really have that much to really say on on the cards or uh, the fights. For the um, undercards uh, that I had um, watched. But yeah, um, let's get right to it. Um, for those of you that didn't know who was fighting, um, uh, there was guys like, well, surprisingly, there was supposed to be guys like Kasir Golton and Charlie Sheehy fighting. Uh, Kasir Golton, he's that black guy from, or he's that young black kid from Albany, New York. He's 
from uh, my area. He was supposed to face this Cuban dude uh, named Yaniel Alvarez. I don't know what happened with him, but he was supposed to fight him. And then Charlie Sheehy, he was supposed to fight Bernal Jenkins Jr. I don't know what happened with that fight. Um, he was supposed to be, you know, fighting. I don't, I don't know what happened. Uh, that's just kind of weird how he wasn't able to, like, you know, be put on, put, um, on the card. I guess it got canceled. So, yeah. Uh, sadly, he was supposed to fight, uh, Burnell Jenkins, and I guess, uh, that fight didn't happen. So, don't know what happened with that fight, and don't know what happened with Kassir Goldson, and then Steven Nelson... Uh, he was supposed to fight, but Nelson, he missed weight over, like, six pounds. Uh, that's what I heard. And, yeah, you know, like, I'm not really, like, a fan of Steven Nelson, but knowing that, you know, he's not disciplined as he once was, and he was never that good of a fighter to begin with, um, I don't really, um, respect like, the fact that he decided to come in six pounds overweight to just basically waste his opportunity with, uh, like, you know, fighting, uh, Lewis Rose, so, <clears throat> yeah, like, I don't know, like, um, what's gonna happen with that fight, uh, that fight's probably not gonna happen, probably sometime, um, any soon, but I think, uh, honestly, uh, that fight would have been interesting, uh, to see, because, uh, Luis Rose, um, for, uh, what I've heard, you know, he's a good, decent fighter, um, he was supposed to, you know, be more active, you know, of, like, in his past fights, but I guess he just wasn't really, the, the, like, you know, the uh, type of guy to, like, you know, to be consistently active, but, yeah, like, I mean, his uh, last fight was, like, four years, or, no, 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 not four, um, it was, uh, yeah, six years ago, uh, prior to the Shane Mosley-David Avenesian fight card, yeah, yeah, uh, Shane Mosley, yeah, yeah, versus David Avenesian back then, and he, uh, had fought on that card against, um, uh, Jose Jesus Hurtado, that was at cruiserweight, and he knocked him out, so, I mean, honestly, like, uh, this fight was supposed to be more of, like, a tune-up fight for, like, you know, for both guys, and, uh, sadly, you know, uh, uh, Steven Nelson, he kind of, you know, screwed all, like, um, he screwed all of that up, you know, against, uh, uh of, like, uh, Mr. Rose. So, I mean, it was just, uh, very bad to the point where, you know, like, I mean, if you come in six pounds, you know, overweight, you know, like, you're supposed to, uh, like, uh, be more disciplined and shit like that. So, I mean, the fight itself was supposed to be at 175 and Steven... He came in at like one, like uh, of like I think it was like uh, one eighty one. So yeah, basically Nelson was like a um, pretty much like a cruiserweight leading up to a heavyweight type of you know of like uh, of, of of like as far as like his uh, weight cut goes. So I mean he would have rehydrated up to a, to at least like a cruiserweight you know on fight night. So um, that was really stupid of Steven Nelson, and I don't really ever want to see him back, um, in the ring again, because I don't think he's that good of a fighter to begin with, and he's only been fighting for 17 fights, you know, he's not that good of a fighter, he's 33 years old, he hasn't really done anything, how should I say, he hasn't done anything special, 
And knowing that he's out of uh, the Terrence Crawford camp with uh, Bomack and Jamel Herring and all those guys, like you know, like it doesn't really like you know surprise me why like you know why um, a guy like Steven Nelson is you know ever to be talked about because you know he's not that special, honestly. You know he wasn't supposed to be special. Like I mean, yeah, good. Like you know, like you have you know 17 wins and you're undefeated, but you know at the same token, you've been inactive for two and a half years leading into now and for him to be undisciplined not making weight it just pretty much shows like you know steven nelson he's just not really that focused um as a fighter um, um he's too busy hanging out with terrence crawford and jamel herring uh, but honestly um you don't see him back inside of the gym being focused and i think honestly steven nelson he um he has that same problem like um any other fighter would where um, if you don't focus on boxing and you just try to come back into uh, the mix and um, you don't look your greatest, you know, you're basically just like, you know, basically uh, just like a shot fighter, you know, like you don't have it anymore. Like, you know, uh, some fighters can come out of um, that super long um, inactivity and perform very well at a high level. But but uh, but for a guy like Steven Nelson, he's not like that. He's a very, very... How should I say? Um, he's a very, very unfocused person. He doesn't even look like he um, um, he even trains uh, consistently. And uh, the fact that he's around Bo Mack and Terrence Crawford and all these other, you know, well-known fighters, it's just that he's not that guy to be super focused. You had all of 2020 to focus on your career after you knocked out uh, DeAndre Ware. Uh, but now here, uh, of, uh, of like now here you are, to the point where you've taken like a two and a half year layoff, to which um, you haven't even stayed active, and uh, you basically blow that opportunity of missing weight and basically wasting your um, opponent's time to even um, of like uh, to uh, to even try to make weight of like uh, of like uh, to uh, to even miss weight. To not make uh, the uh, fight, so I just find that very uh, stupid out of Steven Nelson. Uh, I don't really like him as a fighter. I never really, you know, like enjoyed watching him. Like I kind of, you know, just truly believe he's just not like the same guy um, anymore. And I mean, for him to not make weight and be disciplined, you know, leading up to uh, this fight that I was definitely looking forward to because I don't know anything about Lewis. Um, Rose, but I hear Lewis Rose, you know, he can hit hard too. Um, I definitely was um, looking forward to seeing that fight because, you know, Lewis Rose, you know, he's a decent fighter. You know, he's 17, 3, and 1, 5 foot 11 with the 75 inch um, arm reach. And as Steven Nelson, he's 5 foot 10 with the 75 and a half inch um, arm reach. Um, he's out of Omaha, Nebraska. As uh, Lewis uh, Rose, he's from. Uh, He's from Linwood, California, and I mean, this fight was uh, going to be like a really, really good style matchup because uh, I believe Steven, he's a Orthodox, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's an Orthodox, and Lewis Rose, um, he was a Orthodox as well, if I'm not mistaken, but either way, like, I was definitely looking forward to looking at this fight. I mean, he's only been stopped once by some Russian dude, Ivgen Kirtrov. I think he's from Russia or Ukraine. Yeah, but um, he's not that good of a fighter himself. He, like, you know, he got stopped by 
Emmanuel Ali and back in middleweight and you know he hasn't done anything he's just been inactive you know just like you know just like um any other no-name fighter that doesn't keep their careers you know up to date but I mean he's a pretty good fighter like I mean you know both of these guys came off of like a super long layoff so I mean this is more of like a tune-up fight to be honest but yeah like I think uh honestly Lewis Rose um he's a very very good uh decent fighter uh he doesn't really knock a lot of guys out but he definitely has a good puncher you know volume puncher type of style and I was definitely looking forward to this fight because you know Steven Nelson He's more of a super middleweight. He's not really good as a light heavyweight. I don't think he's that good of a fighter when he fights at light heavyweight. Even though he started his career at light heavyweight and, well, you know, he's been blowing dudes out. But but he hasn't been matched up with, like, the top tier competition. So I think, honestly, like, that fight alone with a guy like Lewis Rose, who's a natural, uh, like, you know, um, if anything, he's more of, like, a natural cruiserweight type light heavyweight fighter so he has like the bigger body frame in terms of you know the physicality against steven nelson so i definitely would have liked to seen how that fight would have played out because i think it would have been a good fight and i mean if steven nelson would have stopped them uh, then i would have been like oh okay like you know like you stopped some guy that has some decent credibility but i mean um he hasn't fought like you know top tier competition himself so i mean for Lewis Rose fighting Steven Nelson, uh, this definitely would have been like a 50-50 matchup where, you know, um, we would have known who uh, would have uh, won that fight. So I just think uh, based off of, you know, the fight card itself, uh, that was supposed to be a good venue for them to, you know, go at it, you know, in Vegas and uh, put on a good show. Um, I think uh, as far as the rest of the fights on the card, um, they were pretty good fights. I'll, like, I'm going to cover, like, some of what the fights real quick, but Duke Reagan, he got a four-round unanimous decision victory over Victorino Gonzalez. That was a good fight. Um, I wasn't really too, you know, impressed in Duke Reagan's performance. Um, I think Duke Reagan, he's starting to beginning to decline just simply because, you know, he's fighting dudes, you know, in a sixth professional fight in a four-round fight, and, and I don't like that out of him. I think I think he needs to start being put up in, t like, you know, eight-round, ten-round fights. And, I mean, before anybody tries to say, oh, nah, man, you know, like, you got to build him up, man. You know, he's a prospect, man. He's a prospect. No. And, I mean, even though that, you know, that I'm very, very petty and I'm very, very super critical on fighters, but, you know, for me and my platform that I have on here... I don't believe in prospects. I don't I don't believe that there's any such a thing as a prospect in boxing nor in any other sport. I will say there are rookies in the game, but you're still a professional at the end of the day. Because if prospects do do exist in boxing, why is it that some prospects get moved faster than than other prospects and then if that prospect ends up losing at the high level, you guys basically, you know, still consider him to be a rising prospect or future, you know, like world title contender. That doesn't make any sense because I'll even make a good example. When people say Lomachenko, he was a prospect starting off. He was a prospect for one fight 
And then leading into his second professional fight, he gets matched up against Orlando Salido, a absolute nobody in which he was a formidable world champion at one point in time. But um, Orlando Salido was beating uh, the living crap out of a fucking um, yeah, out of fucking uh, Vasil. Uh, 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 he was beating the crap out of Vasil Lomachenko, and Lomachenko was still being touted to be this great big future star, knowing that. He didn't want to run it back with Salido, and if Salido had made weight and he was uh, the uh, uh, the champion at, at the uh, time frame when he beat uh, Vasil Lomachenko, that would have made Orlando Salido a bigger threat and a bigger name on Lomachenko's um, resume. Because at least with Salido, you know, he beat Lomachenko, and Lomachenko didn't want to rematch him. And when Lomachenko decided to like basically waited out through the WBO because by the WBO's rules you're not supposed to rechallenge for um another world title shot after you had lost so you have to come off of a win if you want to rechallenge like you know for the title but knowing how uh, but knowing how corrupt and, and evil the WBO is they decided to break their rules for Vasil Lomachenko and give him a, another title shot right away to fight Gary Russell who had a a short notice coming into that fight, and uh, like um, and um on top of that, he was not fully prepared. So you can't tell me that um, Lomachenko he jumps all the way from a prospect to a world champion, like in just fucking like what three fights? Nah, man, get the fuck out of here. It's either you're still a prospect, and then at one point do you hatch from a prospect into a contender? And then a world champion. That doesn't make any sense because that basically means that you're setting political standards for certain fighters that you don't like or certain fighters that you have harsh criticisms over and you put them in a certain cage where you don't want them to grow a certain type of way where they could end up potentially beating your favorite fighter. That's pretty much it because, you know, in um, any other sport like basketball, football, your favorite athletes will go up against a guy like LeBron James or a guy like fucking, I don't know, Tom Brady or whoever um, um, in any professional level sport, um, especially team sports, those guys are constantly being tested every single day. And uh, uh, by no means people say, oh, well, he's a prospect. They need to, like, slow him down. They need to, uh, uh, like, uh, give him some time to grow. No, it's either you are a professional or you are a amateur. And if you're not ready for the pros, then you're not ready for, like, you know, for the big dogs. When you make it to the league of any sport, especially a team sport like basketball, football, baseball, um, any of those big premier level sports, you are going in there to be the best. They picked you because they know that you're going to be good. And they believe in you. They put that money. They, they, they invest in your skill set to be the best of who you are. Uh, but for some weird reason, in the sport of boxing, everyone has this weird political mindset to hold certain fighters back to think that, oh, he's a prospect or she's a prospect because of what? You don't want them to grow as fast as all the other athletes and, and, and um, other sports do because eventually they're going to meet somebody that we don't know one day where they could very well end up losing to somebody that they weren't prepared for it. They did not train as hard to get up to that level. And, and then on top of that, they're 
fighting weaker opposition too. That's also my biggest problem with guys like Duke Reagan. Because Duke Reagan, he's fought guys with losing records. He's fought dudes that we haven't even heard of. In which Duke Reagan, he's like, honestly, like, I don't see him getting better. I, I think he's just, you know, being given, you know, all these soft touches and he's just basically cruising them to a, to a decision because he's fighting dudes that we don't know who they are. And I mean, yeah, great. You know, um, he's been active, but the problem is, is just that just because you're active doesn't mean you're not preparing yourself for the high level. And like I said about prospects not being a thing in boxing, there's going to be a time where we don't know where a guy that we don't know out of the featherweight division or super featherweight division, whatever weight class that Duke Reagan competes at, there's going to come a time where we don't know where some unknown dude comes out of with the blue and he could very well knock out Duke Reagan. Shit, like we've seen it with fucking, you know, Evander Holyfield's son, Evan Holyfield. We didn't know who his opponent was, but just out of nowhere, his opponent just came in there and just smoked him. Why? How did that even happen? Well, it, it happened because Evan Holyfield probably thought, oh, well, like, you know, this dude's, like, uh, basically nothing, man. You know, he's not going to, you know, beat me down like this. You know, I'm going to beat him, blah, blah, blah. So he probably came into that fight thinking that he was going to just blow this dude out. But little did anybody know this guy, he can punch, and, and he could very well do some, of like, uh, do some damage to Evan. In which Evan he was getting clipped with some really like a, like a, with some really heavy loaded shots, so Evan didn't see that punch coming, and then boom, he got knocked out. So I mean, at at the end of the day, you have to stay ready, like you know, before somebody takes you out when you're not ready, because no matter where you are in your level of skill set, you cannot put a label on somebody to say that. They are a prospect, contender, or world championship level fighter because you don't know how their skills are going to be when they're ready for those, you know, top level fighters. It's either you got it or or you don't got it. There's amateurs and there's professionals for a reason in, in every single sport. But there's no such thing as a prospect in the sport of boxing nor any other sport because you are professionally competing to be the best of who you are in your um, respective sport. So back to the topic at hand, um, how I saw this fight with Duke Reagan and uh, his opponent, Victorino Gonzalez, I wasn't really too shocked, you know? Like, I was just thinking, like, Victorino Gonzalez, he's just like this 28-year-old, five foot six featherweight-looking dude. Like, you know, like, um, he just looks like a bum that top rank just probably, like, you know, took, like, uh, took from the streets. And um, he didn't really give Duke Reagan that much... How should I say that much? Uh, like uh, that many um, problems. You know, he's not that good of a fighter. He uh, he's been um, he's been out of uh, the ring since um, since of um, August twenty uh, eighth of uh, twenty twenty one. Um, he lost uh, he lost a split decision against Carlos uh, Venegas Nunez, and then you know like another split decision loss to Marcelo Williams. So, I mean, he's not that good of a fighter. Like, I don't really like, like, you know, these uh, type of, like, opponents where they don't hit as hard and they don't really give that much, uh, you know, um, resistance back to you. So, I mean, honestly, like, I, I kind of felt like Duke Reagan and his team, they're just moving, like, a funny type of way where, you know, this is his sixth fight already. And, I mean, I'm not sold on him. I don't think Duke Reagan's going to be a world champion. 
and I think, uh, you know, there's plenty of smoke out here that we see at 126 where he could very well get knocked out. Um, I think guys like Brandon Valdez, you know, he's a good Colombian fighter, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he um, he obviously lost to Robesi Ramirez, where um, uh, um, Robesi uh, like, um, Ramirez was like, the only person uh, to stop him. But um, ever since then, he was doing very, very good. Um, he came back. Uh, he got a UD or unanimous decision win over um, um, Aldoberto Garcia. Kavaru Bias, uh, that was a good fight, um, in which uh, that guy's um, win-loss um, ratio wasn't really that good, but but Brandon came back and he won that fight, but then unfortunately he lost a fight with uh, Jordan White, in which um, um, a lot of people had thought Brandon had won that fight, because Jordan White, he's not that good of a fighter, like, uh, like I'm not really too sold on him, um, he's a uh, fighter out of uh, the uh, DC area but he's a uh, 13 and 1 with a uh, 10 KOs and um, he had uh, not really did that much to really win the fight against uh, Brandon Valdez but either way uh, Brandon Valdez he put on a good show and um, that like uh, that fight alone expanded his name branding a lot more because he's only 23 years old he has a 41% uh, knockout ratio, and he's uh, getting more rounds, and he's already boxed over 86 rounds in uh, 17 professional fights, so I think uh, a guy like Brandon Valdez can can easily knock out Duke, like, uh, Duke Reagan. Uh, Brandon definitely has like, the height and reach advantage over him. He's a very, very tall, lanky, uh, super brolic uh, uh, featherweight fighter, but I mean, everybody else in the featherweight division like Angel, um, Alejandro, or maybe, hmm, I don't know, man, like, I don't, I don't want to jump the gun to say that there's, like, some guys out there that could, like, you know, that can easily take out Duke Reagan, but it's just, like, there's plenty of good smoke out here that we don't know, where they could easily beat up some of our, you know, highly, highly favorited, you know, rookie-level American fighters, and I think, uh, you know the problem with Duke Reagan is just that he's not he's not moving the proper way to be to be ready for like you know for all the top dogs. I think um, honestly, like he can he can have a good outing against you know some of the top level fighters like a um, Adam Lopez, in which I thought Adam Lopez um, I thought he arguably lost um, um, against uh, William um, Encarnacion. I thought he lost that fight. Like, I didn't think Adam Lopez actually won that fight. But, uh, surprisingly, uh, he actually won that fight. Uh, that was a very, very close, close fight. Like, in which I'm going to talk about that fight very soon. But I uh, actually didn't, like, I didn't really think that, um, like, uh, a fight between Duke and... Uh, Duke Reagan and uh, Gonzalez, uh, that wasn't a good style matchup for Duke. Um, I don't think he's going to scale well, as uh, many people try to hype him up to be, and I think uh, the biggest problem is just simply due to the level of uh, opposition that they're being matched up with. But either way, um, i like to see Duke continue to keep getting better, and uh, I, think, I think eventually he's going to... You know, run into some guy that we don't know that's going to end up, you know, pulling his card 
and I think he'll, you know, definitely learn from like a huge loss that will come somewhere, somewhere down the line. But let's talk about uh, Jesse Magdaleno and Eddie Valencia. Um, I wasn't really too shocked with this fight. I thought Jesse Magdaleno was gonna do good in the, like you know, um, in that fight against um, Eddie, and which he did. But I'm not sold on his performance. I thought um, I thought Jesse would have done better to like actually be more um, aggressive to uh, Valencia, and I thought he was gonna actually put on a very very good show in which um, he would have uh, definitely knocked out Eddie Valencia. Like I mean, don't get it twisted. Like uh, Jesse, Jesse's a good fighter, but I wasn't too um, impressed in his uh, performance. Um, I was really hoping that Jesse would have been a lot more sharper and he would have been coming coming into this fight with a very very good mindset to like smoke him but um yeah i mean like a uh, mr valencia put on a good dog like you know dog fight performance i mean jesse jesse had a little bit of hiccups here and there where he wasn't able to you know really let his punches go and i think it was mainly due to the level of um inactivity because you know he was on a tear two years ago after he beat uh, yenafel vicente and for those of you guys that don't know who yenafel vicente is um he um, um he's a very uh well-known uh, uh uh dominican fighter in which uh i don't think he's ever won a world title um i'm pretty sure he had been losing most of his his world title um, shot contender opportunities, but, I mean, most of his fights were, were in the, uh, Dominican Republic, so, he's not really that well-known in boxing, but, I mean, he's gotten over, you know, um, how many, like, how many fights total, he's had over 46 fights, uh, 193 rounds box, and he has a 63% knockout ratio, he's been pro since 2006 leading up to now, to 2022, but, um, yeah, I mean, honestly, he's really not that, uh, um, he's really not that known for boxing. I mean, he does have a quote-unquote world title for the UBF, for the Universal Boxing Federation, in which, you know, obviously those are, like, no-name belts. But, yeah, you know, he, um, he got a pretty good, you know, uh, decent, decent, um, resume. I mean, his biggest losses or his biggest fights like in which he ended up losing and wasting the opportunity to lose was uh definitely the fight uh, between him and uh, Tremaine Williams and then obviously Jesse Magdaleno and then ever since then you know he hasn't really done anything I mean he's just been fighting dudes that we obviously don't even care to even take a look at and I mean his uh resume is a very very weak uh, form. Um, he doesn't really have really that many, uh, like, you know, opportunities to actually make you, you know, like this guy. So I was never really sold on him. I mean, I actually started watching him when he was like, you know, um, on the come up through the, um, HBO boxing days. And I thought, you know, he was going to be like a very, very good fighter, but leading up to now, um, I'm not really sold on him. I mean, like, you know, I I'm pretty sure he had multiple world title opportunities to be great, but at the end of the day, you should have been fighting guys like Jesse Magdaleno years ago, and uh, I, I kind of felt like, you know, uh, the NFL, uh, like uh, Vicente, he was just basically just 
you know, like a hype job from the beginning. You know, like you can't be fighting all this quote unquote, you know, weak competition from your, you know, home country in the Dominican Republic. And then leading up to now, you start stepping up your competition with high level opposition in America or any other part of the world, you know, you get smoked because you're not ready because you haven't seen those styles uh, before. So I think uh, Jesse Magdaleno, he had his biggest peak two years ago, but but but, but I kind of feel like now he's basically playing catch-up to the point where he really needs to start being more serious in his uh, career because um, he's only 30 years old, and I like Jesse. I um I like how he fights. I think I think Jesse's a very very good fighter. Obviously, he's a former world champion for a reason, but his uh ceiling in the boxing game needs to be taken a bit more seriously. And I think Jesse, we're going to see him in there with like all the top killers at 126. I think I think after Emmanuel Navarrete leaves, I think like the new top dogs are are going to be you know, Titans like Abraham Nova, um, obviously he's out of my area, out of Albany, New York. I think he's going to become a problem. And, you know, let's just hope that he can get a win over, uh, like, you know, that Cuban fighter, Robesi Ramirez. Um, Robesi Ramirez, he's a beast. He's a very, very dangerous, high-level fighter. Um, out of Cuba, he works with uh, um, Ismael Salas out of Yerdanis Ugas's camp. Very, very dangerous southpaw. And very very good high ring IQ boxer puncher. Well, I, like I want to say boxer puncher, but he has pop. But he's more of like a boxer semi volume puncher type of fighter. Very very good high level southpaw school um, of uh, type of fighters, um, especially from the from the uh, Cuban school. But there's also guys like maybe Ruben Villa. He could very well come back. I mean, I haven't seen him back in quite a long time, but he actually got a KO victory over um, Horacio Garcia. Like, he's probably some old-ass dude that we haven't even heard of. Yeah, he's like 31 years old, and <laughs> he finally got stopped in the first time in his career by uh, Ruben Villa. So, yeah, Ruben Villa, he's probably coming back in, um, um, into the mix. I mean, I, like, honestly, like, I really wasn't sold on Ruben Villa because I really thought Ruben Villa... He was going to be a good fighter, but then uh, the minute I kind of just seen how he's progressing uh, leading up to the Navarrete loss, he was just never that good. And I just think, like, based off of how he fights, it's just, you know, he's just waiting to get stopped. You know, like, I think I think Navarrete could have been the guy to stop him. Um, I thought Navarrete give, gave him a absolute beatdown, and I think uh, that loss took something, took something um, out of him. Because it's like he decided to, to like like he literally decided to take a two year layoff after losing to Navarrete and now you're back yeah, now you've been active like you know, as a recently uh leading up to April fifteenth, and now here you are, like you're just getting back um into the mix, you know, like it doesn't make any sense. So I'm not sold on Ruben Villa, but I think Ruben Villa versus any of the top 25 fighters in the featherweight division that's going to be a very very good interesting you know journey for ruben i mean he's only 23 or he's only 25 years old so i think i think ruben's ceiling is is very high but um i need to see more from him uh don't forget christopher pitufo diaz i'm not too sure what happened with him i think he had recently won his fight 
you know, this past uh, Saturday, last night, um, I'm not too sure what happened with that fight between him and his opponent, but if it's true that he won that fight, um, uh, congratulations to him. Um, unfortunately, Nestor Bravo, he wasn't able to fight on that card. He was supposed to fight. Uh, don't really uh, like to go too deep into the details, but um, if you guys go check out Kind of local sports on, on um, YouTube. He has more information, but just to summarize it, his opponent came in overweight, and Nestor Bravo tried to work it out with him, and his opponent didn't want to do it to try to cut down in a, in a, some weight for like you know for the fight to be even level playing field between him and Nestor, and uh, that was basically you know the, the final straw f you know for the fight to be canceled. So Nestor Bravo, he was supposed to fight. And unfortunately, that fight got canceled. So um, I'm definitely going to, you know, um, hook up with Nestor very soon on my YouTube channel, and I'll, and, and I'm definitely going to do a another um, interview with Nestor, just to, like you know, just to chop it up um, with him, and then I'll definitely upload the episode, you know, on my podcasting channel as well for you guys to listen in. But, um, no, Nestor Bravo, he was supposed to fight, you know, um, he now moved up from 135 to 140, and that was supposed to be his comeback fight, um, into 140. So, I mean, either way, Nestor, um, he was gonna beat that dude's ass, um, anyway. He came all the way from, from Colombia to literally waste Nestor's time, and, you know, he didn't want to work with, you know, trying to cut down from weight, because, like, the fight was supposed to be at 140, and his opponent came in six pounds overweight and Nestor, you know, asked, Hey, can you cut some of that weight off? So that way we could fight. And his opponent didn't want to do it. Cause of the reason why was because he wanted to keep that weight on so he can, you know, take the punishment to absorb, to absorb Nestor's punches better. And I'm just like, wow, like that has to be like the most pussy shit ever because it's like out of all of boxing, you would never hear something like that from a fighter to say, Oh, well, that's really why that I wanted to come in six pounds overweight, so therefore I could take your punches better. No, you're gonna like actually take the punches worse because you're coming in overweight, and then on top of that, you're not gonna be able to like to um, rehydrate properly because you know, but the punches that you take on top of like your weight being bloated, you're probably gonna just end up being knocked out. So I think honestly, like his opponent was just afraid of him and. You know, like, I just saw that shit coming, you know? Like, I kind of don't like it when foreign fighters don't, you know, stay disciplined. And, you know, when they waste your time leading up to fight night, they just say, oh, well, I don't, you know, um, I don't want to do this because of this, this, and that, blah, blah, blah. Nah, man. It's either you come in to fight or you just, like, you know, get the fuck up out of here, man. But, yeah, man, that's just very disappointing, man, because I really was expecting Nestor to do some big things, you know, to, to his opponent, and I was really hoping that Nestor would have knocked out his opponent, but, um, I, I'm pretty sure, you know, like, uh, the sports, you know, promotional, uh, of, like, a network that he's with, um, they're definitely gonna work something out with him. Obviously, Nestor, he got paid, you know, he got his, you know, part of the money sent out to him, and I'm pretty sure he got extra money for it, because, you know, his opponent didn't make weight, so therefore you get, you know, like, a portion of his, uh, fight purse, but yeah, um, either way, uh, Nestor Bravo, he's with this uh, sports promotional group named, named uh, Bally Sports. 
they're a very very big sports group that's uh, connected with all the other major sports like the um, NFL, the NBA, uh, the NHL. Uh, they're a very very good sports group, and uh, yeah, um, I think uh, that's a very very big move for Nestor because now that I think about it, Bally Sports is is gonna be like one of those big players in the boxing game that can uh, that can easily get all these big name fighters to you know sign with them and, and, and it's not like they're a promotional you know promoter group it's just that they're a sports network group similar to the pbc um um in a way where they can easily get these fighters on like you know on bigger cards and therefore that's going to expand their name a lot better of like um a lot bigger because they're networking with other bigger sports um, agencies will start to skyrocket their name faster. So, um, all I have to say is uh, congratulations to Nestor Bravo. That's a very, very big move, and I like that move because that means that you, like, um, you basically become your own boss. You know, like you don't need to have a promoter tell you what to do. You can now call the shots now because you're now with a big promotional sporting group agency that can easily promote your name constantly. And you'll be basically, you know, on the headlines every single time people know who you are. So I think that's a big move for Nestor Bravo, and I really hope he continues to do bigger and better, like bigger and better things. So, yeah, uh, congratulations to Nestor Bravo being with Bally Sports. Uh, please go check him out. Check out Nestor Bravo at, at Nestor Bravo PR on his um, Instagram. And, uh, yeah, man, I'm definitely gonna, like, you know, link up with them very, very soon so I can, you know, like, you know, get them on to both of my platforms and, and keep, ex like, you know, keep trying to help them out. But, yeah, let's get right into it with, uh, the other fights with, um, um, Adam Lopez and William, um, Encarnacion and then Delante Johnson versus Augustine Kucharski and then Jermaine Ortiz versus Jamel Herring. And then Janabek versus Danny Dignam. Um, I'm going to skim it with uh, Adam Lopez and William. Uh, Adam, he got beat up the entire fight. Um, he di didn't really look that good. I thought I thought William um, Encarnacion, he actually looked a lot better. Because um, the William Encarnacion that we saw against um, Abraham Nova, um, I personally thought that uh, William Encarnacion... He wasn't fully prepared coming into that fight, and that clearly showed a huge difference when he had a full full training camp against Adam Lopez. Because if I'm not mistaken, Encarnacion he actually took this fight on short notice with Abraham Nova. So with Adam Lopez, for him to like for him to be back in the ring in four months, uh, that's very very interesting out of him. Because I mean he's only 33 years old, so. He definitely needs to be moving his career extremely fast, but either way, like I'm proud of him because William Encarnacion, he's a beast. Um, he's very, very uh, talented. And for those of you that don't know who William um, Encarnacion is, is that he was a former 2012 um, Olympian with the Dominican Republic, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not too sure if he won a gold medal. I, I like. I'm not too sure about his medal progression in the um olympics but i mean if he like um if he made some noise in the 2012 2012 olympics then that's very very good congratulations to him but yeah now fast forward you know into the pros um he's a very very 
you know, good, decent fighter. I mean, he doesn't have uh, the greatest, you know, resume. I mean, he's only been stopped, like, I think two times, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's only been stopped two times. Um, he's at a San Juan de, uh, de la Maguana, uh, Dominican Republic. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he's not a bad fighter. I mean, you know, the thing about him is just that he has such a weird you know, um, um, activity window where he hasn't been staying active as consistently. And I mean, the Abraham Nova fight, that was a very, uh, high level fight for him, but I just knew Abraham Nova, you know, he was going to stop him regardless of how much time that he had training for that fight. But I think, um, that, uh, that really opened up a lot of doors for, for his ceiling to be recognized more. But, I mean, for this fight with Adam Lopez, he did a very, very good job in that fight. I don't care what anybody has to say. Um, he deserved to actually win that fight. Honestly, like, I did not see Adam Lopez win that fight. I thought William Encarnacion, uh, he, did what, he did what he had to do to actually, you know, win. And Adam, he just got beat up, you know. he Like, he had no answers for him. And, uh... I just found it very, very sad that, you know, Adam Lopez really thought that he actually won that fight, you know, like, I'm not really too sold on him, I mean, he's a good, decent fighter, but at the end of the day, it's like, bro, you knew it, and most people, like, most people can possibly agree with me on this podcast episode, that Adam Lopez is not that good of a fighter, and he should have lost, you know, again, to William Encarnacion. Encarnacion developed a lot better with a full training camp from the Abraham Nova loss for him to be back in the ring in four plus months. Knowing that Adam Lopez, he's been out the ring since the um, um, Adan o um, Ochoa fight, which was back in November of 2021, and he hasn't done anything since. So, I mean, I just find it really, really weird. It's just like, why, why, why does top rank do this to fighters that we don't really care about? But, you know, obviously, like, like, obviously these weird ass, you know, shenanigans get put into place where these fighters that are not that good, they just end up getting robbery decisions over the other fighter that we obviously know that their style can, can easily beat the hyped up fighter style. So, I mean, at the end of the day, um, Ado Lopez, uh, he should have lost that fight. I did not see any improvements, and I think uh, he really, really needs to stop boxing because I don't think he's that good of a fighter, man. I think Adam Lopez, he's starting to regress, and I think um, eventually, sooner than later, he's going to get knocked out. Somebody, Somebody's going to beat his ass very, very bad, and I think, uh, you know, guys like Luis Alberto Lopez, you know, they could, like, you know, he can beat him, I think Michael Conlon, he can easily come back and definitely smoke Adam Lopez, uh, Joette Gonzalez, definitely, I think, I think Joette, like, I think Joette Gonzalez would dog walk him, and, I mean, I probably, like, like, I would definitely say Ray Vargas and Leah Santa Cruz would defeat him. And definitely Josh Warrington. Obviously, Josh Warrington fighting dirty, of course. But, yeah, like, I don't really see uh, Mr. Adam Lopez being that good of a fighter. He just hasn't shown any improvements to me. And I just think, you know, everything that he's 
doing outside of boxing isn't really helping him, and I don't think he's that focused anymore. I think I think Adam Lopez, he is going to continue to make what the same mistakes heading into fights that he knows he should, you know, you know, uh, win convincingly. He just ends up getting exposed by somebody that has some punch resistance and an actual good boxing skills to the point where, you know, he's going to end up getting smoked. So that's how I see it. And moving forward with the Delonte Johnson versus Augustin Kucharski fight, this is a very, very good fight for Delonte Tiger Johnson. Uh, Tiger Johnson did a very, very good, did a very, very good performance. Uh, he dominated his opponent that had like a two-inch height advantage over him, uh, like you know, up against Augustin uh, 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 Kucharski. Um, I thought Kucharski. You know, he like like he fought like crap. You know, he didn't he didn't even come out with like a proper mindset of like actually being smart um, in that fight alone. He just kept you know getting hit with the same punch over and over. And uh, you know, Delonte Johnson did what he had to do. He just absolutely crushed him, and he looked very very good uh, doing it. Um, as far as where he goes from here, I don't think. Tiger Johnson should be moved extremely fast, but I wouldn't mind seeing him up against a top 100 welterweight. See, now, I wouldn't mind to see a fight between him and Mark Reyes Jr., and for those of you that don't know who Mr. Mark Reyes Jr. is, he is that uh, other fighter that I had on my YouTube channel who's out of uh, Tampa, Florida. Very, 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 very nice person, very, very focused um, um, individual, but I think him and Mark Reyes Jr., that's going to be a good, good, good high-level fight sometime in the future. Um, I also want to mind seeing him face against Samuel Vargas or Jonathan Ennis. That was a guy that beat Mark Reyes Jr., in which I didn't think he won that fight. I thought, you know, he actually deserved, like, a draw. But, yeah, that's a good fight. Um, I want to mind seeing a, a fight with Angel Ruiz. He's actually a very, very dangerous fighter. Um, he, like, you know, he obviously lost against... Giovanni Santian that uh, that was a very uh, close uh, nip and tuck battle in which people thought he actually lost that fight you know like you know um, like uh, the entire fight uh, but I thought that fight was uh, very very close um, I didn't really see it to be like a 10-0 type of battle for that 10 rounder but e um, either way I think uh, Tiger Johnson he should definitely go after some, you know, decent level names. Um, I like, you know, I obviously wouldn't mind to see him fight up against um, Rashad Mahdi. I think that's going to be a good fight um, in the future. And then, definitely Brian Norman Jr. I think him and Brian Norman, that's going to be like, the biggest fight, uh, or one of the biggest fight fights um, in the welterweight division. Um, Brian, like, Honestly, like, I'm just going to keep it clear, but I think Brian Norman, he's going to be like, the biggest dark horse in the welterweight division. Um, anything that people try to say, to say that he that he isn't that good, he ain't going to do this and that, a lot of people are just sleeping on him. Uh, Brian Norman, he's the truth. I truly believe he's like another Errol Spence, you know, mixed with a... I don't even know, man. Honestly, he's like EJ mixed with... A Ronald, like a Ronald Winky Wright type of style, because his style is just very, very protege like to EJ, 
and Ronald, you know, like uh, of, of, of like uh, Ronald Winky Wright to the point where he knows how to adjust and he knows how to be very um, hyper adaptive and he's just so athletically gifted to the point where he like like um, he makes fights very very difficult for you and he's a very very high level you know um, intelligent fighter. Hold on, I'll be right back. All right, I'm back. So yeah, uh, basically, with uh, Brian Norman Jr., um, he's a good fighter. I definitely like to see that fight somewhere down the line with him and Tiger Johnson. But I think by that time frame, uh, Brian Norman, he's probably going to end up probably winning titles at 147. And I think you know, like a fight between him and Jerron Ennis is probably going to happen very soon. Um, I mean, either way. Uh, the 147-pound division is supremely stacked, and I mean, it's always going to be stacked because everybody from 140 usually ends up moving up very fast up to 147, but I'd say, like, my fights that I like to see Delante Tiger Johnson is, is probably somewhere between the lines of a Jonathan Ennis or maybe, like, 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 maybe, like, a guy like, like, you know, um, uh, like a guy like um Angel, like um Angel Ruiz, um definitely a guy like Treshawn Wiggins. I think that's a very very good style matchup. Um, I think his uh, ceiling is going to be high, and uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Tiger Johnson will do heading into the future. He's staying supremely active right now. He's been active um, almost uh, within every two months. So uh, this is his third fight of 2022 so i'm very very happy for him and i can't wait to see what he does heading into the future um but i definitely like to see him more and i think 147 is going to be a very very um interesting weight class for him um as we see him grow um he's only 23 years old he's 5 foot 11 with a 70 71 inch um arm reach out of cleveland ohio so uh i definitely you know like appreciate watching him but Let's uh, head and forward with uh, Mr. Um, who was on? Who else was on the card? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about Jermaine Ortiz versus Jamel Herring, and obviously Jana Beck and Danny. Which I'm gonna criticize Jana Beck, you know, in a bit. But Jermaine Ortiz versus Jamel Herring. That was a very, very good style matchup. I had a lot of fun watching this fight. Um, Jermaine Ortiz was dominating Jamel Herring. All turn rounds. Uh, Jamel Herring didn't really have that much to really give to uh, Jermaine Ortiz. Um, he looked very, very shot. He looked very, very slow, and he didn't really look like he was at um, he was at his best. Um, I just think after the Shakur Stevenson uh, TKO victory, pretty much just showed like Jamel Herring is basically like you know fully declined, and I don't think his career should have been continued after that. Uh, but I understand why he wanted to do it because he thought Jermaine Ortiz would be a very, very good, sturdy test for him to go in there and get a good, you know, high-level victory. And Jermaine Ortiz, he's a beast. You know, he's a very, very good rising rookie, you know, um, in the 135-pound uh, division. Uh, the man's built like a welterweight inside the lightweight division. Um, he's 26 years old, five foot eight, with a 69-inch arm reach. As Jamel Herring, he's about 5'10 with a 72-inch arm reach, and he couldn't do anything to Jermaine Ortiz. Jermaine Ortiz is a beast. Um, he's had 
some very, very good, uh, credible victories um, himself. Jermaine Ortiz beat uh, Nahir Albright. He beat Suleiman Sagawa. That uh, that was a very, very good, credible win. Uh, Luis Ronaldo Castillo, very, very good, decent fighter. I mean, Jermaine Ortiz is just getting better. I mean, his only blemish is against Joseph Adorno. That was on the um, Navarrete versus Christopher Pitufo Diaz fight card down in Florida. And then that was an all-time battle. That was a war. Uh, I personally thought Jermaine Ortiz had defeated Joseph Adorno. But Joseph Adorno, um, he uh, obviously uh, just uh, went a different direction. And I actually spoke to him over at the um, Evolution Boxing Gym down in Orlando, uh, Florida, uh, back when I uh, went back or went down to Florida to, to visit family down in January. And, uh, yeah, like I spoke to him like about that, and he said him and his team pursued that rematch with him, and uh, he said that Jermaine Ortiz didn't take the fight, but... Um, I wasn't really too like fully convinced that like, that could have been like the case. I think, I think honestly, it probably could have been like a business issue, like more than Jermaine Ortiz not wanting the smoke with uh, Joseph Adorno. I think, I think honestly, like a rematch would have been a lot different, and I think a focus more uh, heavily um, educated Jermaine Ortiz would have given Joseph Adorno a very tough, sturdy task. But I think either way, uh, Joseph Adorno showed. Um, a lot of flaws against Jermaine Ortiz, but either way, I think Joseph Adorno really showed different levels ever since that Jermaine Ortiz uh, draw. And I mean, his career is just on a tear. I think Joseph Adorno, knowing that he came back and he got, I think, like a second round KO victory over his opponent Juan Santiago, if I'm not mistaken. Some 37-year-old um, guy that nobody had never heard of, but yeah, um, um, he knocked him out. Uh, uh, that's what I heard. I'm not too sure if that's true. But, yeah, uh, Joseph Adorno did his thing, man. He he came back after losing uh, for the first time against uh, Michelle Lazarza Rivera, a very, very good high-level Dominican fighter uh, that resides out of Miami, Florida, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, yeah, he, he's very, very talented. Um, Michelle Rivera, he's 24 years old, and Joseph, he's 23. And, uh, yeah, that, uh, that win that Michelle had over Joseph Adorno, that's a very, very good, heavily aged win. And I think Joseph Adorno, now that he's just back, back in the mix after being active literally consistently back to back within 2022, um, like, uh, that's what I like out of him. Um, Obviously, Joseph Adorno, he was supposed to be more active back in 2020. He was supposed to fight um, Alexis Del Bosque. That was back in June 23rd of 2020. That fight got canceled, unfortunately. And then he was supposed to fight Avery Sparrow back in, uh, back in October of that year. But we obviously knew what happened uh, between him and uh, um, um, Abraham Nova because he fought him. And I don't know what happened between him and... Ryan Garcia and James uh, James um, Wilkins, but yeah, I mean Avery Sparrow. Like I still like him as a fighter. I think I think he still has a good ceiling for like what he's trying to do, and, and, and I'm happy that he um, um, he was active back in January 15th of uh, that following 2022. But I think I think it's time to see Avery Sparrow step up his competition. I think I think he's very 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 well ready for all the top level dogs in, in the division 
especially if he's going to campaign at lightweight. But I think he's more of like a 140 pounder, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, like I heard uh, his last fight was at featherweight, so uh, I'm not too sure. I mean, yeah, he won a world title, uh, quote unquote, against Matt Conway. But yeah, either way, I'm not. I'm not really too. How should I say? I'm not really too sold on Avery Sparrow. I think he has a little bit more growing to do, but he can. He could definitely be ready. He could definitely be ready for all the top, top level opposition at a uh, 126 or 130 pounds. So I'm definitely. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to Avery Sparrow um, um, returning back soon. And congratulations on him knocking out Matt Conway. I actually heard a lot about Matt Conway, and a lot of people were trying to like hype him up to be this very, very good fighter. And I was just never really sold on him. I, I just never saw anything good out of him. And, uh, I mean, I was kind of happy that Avery Sparrow knocked him out because Avery Sparrow is a very, very good high-level fighter. And obviously this is like the same Matt Conway that lost to uh, Gabriel Flores uh, Jr. So... Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, like a lot of these fighters that I'm talking about, they have a very, very high ceiling in the game, and it's going to be very interesting to see what they do leading up to the future. But let's uh, go on with the main event with uh, Janabek Alena um, um, Kunahi, right? Um, he's that Kazakhstanian Kazakh fighter that everybody was just hyping up to be. And, uh, I mean, he's a good, decent fighter, but... I'm going to talk about this really crappy fight between him and Danny Dignam that was for the WBO interim world title in which, you know, it, like um, obviously this is going to be for, you know, the elevation of that title. So Janabek, congratulations. He got a second round KO victory over Danny Dignam, uh, a absolute nobody from the UK. And uh, yeah, Janabek, uh, he dominated him. He gave uh, Danny the business, and uh, people people try to say like like Janabek is this very very good dangerous fighter out of Kazakhstan. I mean, he's five foot eleven with a 71.5 inch arm reach. He's fighting out of Ox like Oxnard, California. Um, n not a bad fighter. He's now officially twelve and zero with uh, I think ten knockouts if I'm not mistaken. No, eight knockouts. Yeah, eight knockouts. Uh, 29 years old, southpaw, 66.67 percentage uh, knockout ratio, has boxed over 12 bouts in 67 rounds total. Um, not a bad fighter. I don't really see too much out of him. I mean, he's been on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, six consecutive knockout streak. Um, he's just been breaking people down and just crushing them. But I don't really see that many you know, um, interesting things out of him. And the reason why is because the level of opposition that he's been tested with is guys that we know he can beat. He's not like the type of dude where he's just going to come in there and, and dominate everybody because everybody wants to try to tie his name to Demetrius Andrade to say that Andrade is avoiding him and, and Andrade is going to give up his belt to duck Janabek. But I don't see that to be the case. I think Janabek... The only reason why people say that is because Janabek, he's at a position in his career where top rank is trying to hype up these Eastern European or these Eastern Middle Eastern level fighters. 
um, out of the Kazakhstani or Uzbekistani um, Middle Eastern Arabic nations to say that these are going to be like your new dark horses, to which, like, you know, they're obviously not. They're just basically your triple G, triple G protege type fighters that are going to be the big, you know, like, you know, the big scary boogeyman to upset high level American, like, you know, black fighters. Because, you know, that's really why Janabek is being talked about because of his name being tied to Demetrius um, um, Andrade. So, the problem that I have with this is that Janabek, he has been talked about for quite some time, but he hasn't really been calling for the top shelf smoke consistently. And the problem with him is just that, you know, Janabek. He can fight. Don't get it twisted. It's just that the problem with him is that he doesn't have the type of skill set that makes you say, wow, he could actually become like a big high-level fighter. But the biggest issue that I have with Janabek is that you haven't really been fighting any top-ranked you know, middleweights. You never fought Majiz uh, Suleki. You never fought a guy like Ryota Murata. You could have easily went through the WBA route to go after Murata. You could have easily beat beat up Carlos Adames, which he's highly ranked in the WBC. He never wanted to go that route. He could have easily knocked out Chris Eubank Jr. I don't see him going after him. And then for all this talk between him and Jaime Munguia, let me clear this up. Jaime Munguia did not duck Janabek. Jaime Munguia is going the, the going the correct route of saying, look, I want Jamal Charlo, and that's it. At what point in Jaime, Korea, Jaime Munguia's mindset makes you think that him and Jamal Charlo is not a bigger fight compared to him and Janabek? Because the thing about Janabek is that Janabek hasn't done anything in the middleweight division. So Jaime fighting Janabek for the sake of what? absolutely nothing in which you know let's just say if the winner of that fight got Demetrius Andrade yeah that's a good fight but the problem is is that Jaime he doesn't want to go that route he wants to become the WBC champion and I think from a business perspective Jaime Munguia knows what he needs to do in order to get there and he wants to go you know the the, the uh, Jamal Charlo route which is a very very smart move from from Jaime Munguia see now the problem that I have with Janabek is that Janabek thinks that he's going to be this next big thing in the middleweight division. Uh, but I'm not sold on him because the problem with him is that he was never calling out the big top dogs leading up to the middleweight division. Like, leading up to this point of where he got his interim title. Okay, congratulations, but who the hell were you calling out that was under Jamal Charlo or Demetrius Andrade's ranking list? of fighters for you to say that you're ready for Demetrius Andrade or, or Jamal Charlo. And, you know, the answer is nobody because you cause cause you were never calling out any of these guys like Luis Arias, Almicar Vidal, any of these guys. You could have even fought Austin Williams. You could have gotten like you know gotten him out of the way. You could have easily beat him up. You could have easily beat Jose Benavides Jr. At least get some certifies on your resume for us to believe in you to say, oh, okay, you like like you actually have skills, but can you can you actually beat these guys? That's the, like you know, that's not the bigger problem. If he beat guys like Emmanuel Alim, Hugo Centeno Jr., in which he's still fighting, if I'm not mistaken, I would have been like, Okay, yeah, he like he's actually very, very good. 
he can actually do some damage. But the thing is, is that you weren't doing any damage. Like, his only best victory was against Rob Brandt. But this is like the same Rob Brandt that wasn't doing anything leading up to Janabek after he got knocked out in the rematch between him and Ryota Murata. And that basically kind of just showed that he was never like the same guy. I mean, yeah, you were active back in 2020 of August 22nd, but he but he literally came off of like a year and a half layoff leading up to Janabek. That's terrible. So he was never really that active. So you beat up like a, you know, one foot in, one foot out. Yeah, one foot in, one foot out the door, Rob Brandt, that wasn't fully focused. So, I mean, that's all that I'm saying. Like, I want to see more out of Janabek, but I don't, uh, but I don't see Janabek being this really, really big, superb threat because he's really not. Nobody's afraid of him, and I don't think anybody will be afraid of him leading up to the world title stage in the middleweight division and and possibly um, in the uh, super middleweight division. I think Janabek, he's going to get knocked out, and I don't think there's anything special about him. So that's pretty much it for my uh, for my post-fight reaction on that. But, but let me talk about the other two fights on the Joshua Boazzi, Craig Richards card, and uh, I'll probably talk about the Chantel Cameron, Victoria Bustos fight. But let me go and talk about Chantel Cameron and Bustos, and then we'll finish up with B- B- Buatzi and Richards, and then we're going to talk about David Benavidez's fight card, and then after that, I'm going to call it a day. But either way, uh, Janabek, I don't really think th- there's anything special out of him, but I can't wait to see what he's going to do leading up to the future. But let's talk about um, the Joshua Buatzi card. Uh, we're going to start, st- like, obviously start with a female fight between Sh- Chantel Cameron uh, having a good stunning victory over Victoria Bustos. Um, honestly, I, I, I really wasn't too, too, too sold on Chantel Cameron's performance. She kind of she just took the fight very easy, and she, like, she obviously wanted to say that Victoria Bustos was going to be a test, but I didn't really see it to, like, see it to be like that. Um, I think honestly, like the fight between her and Kaylee Reese was supposed to be more of a more of a um, interesting fight, but now that I see it, um, I think Chantel Cameron has kind of shown that she's not really, you know, like she's not really in it to really make a lot of big fights. And I mean, like the only big fight that I like to see her in would be definitely Jessica McCaskill. I think that would be a barn burner. I think that would be a very very good all-out, come-forward type of, you know, titan, titan-like battle. I think Jessica McCaskill has the advantages over Chantel on the inside game, but I think Chantel, um, even if she tries to box her, I think it's just going to end up like, like, you know, like the Katie Taylor fight, but just in a different outcome. I think, I think Chantel is going to get hit with something really hard by Jessica, and I think Jessica would have the advantages to beat her, but I just need to see it to believe it. But as far as uh, Chantel's ceiling with uh, going for Undisputed with Kaylee Reese, I mean, that's a good fight. Uh, I think Kaylee Reese would be a difficult style matchup for her. I think Kaylee, she's a very, very, you know, dedicated, you know, pure boxer. And I think uh, she would definitely give Chantel, you know, the business. But I think that's a 50-50 matchup. But I, but I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. That's a very, very good fight. Um, I would root for Kaylee, but I think Chantel, she would get it done. 
she can definitely become another undisputed female world champion in the four belt era. So I would definitely give her her flowers for that. She like Chantel Chantel Cameron's a good fighter. I used to not like her because I thought that she was like you know another you know British hype job fighter, but she like she actually kind of proved to me that she's not. She she she's actually a very you know. You know, a very Josh Taylor-like type of fighter. Uh, she obviously doesn't fight like Josh Taylor, but she fights. She fights a certain type of way where she's not. She's not just going one way with her style. She she actually makes some decent adjustments. And I mean, she she's not. She's not like you know, but the best. You know, the best of the best. But I think she gives like she gives problems to ladies that we obviously, you know, want to see her in the ring with. I think her and Michaela Mayer would be a very good flame fight. I think her and Jessica McCaskill would be a good fight. And then um, I, I I personally want to minus see to see a fight between her and Clarissa Shields. I think that's a good fight. But I mean, at one fifty four, um, I wouldn't mind seeing her fight Natasha Jonas. I think that's a good female British showdown. I think I think that's a very beautiful fight. Or maybe against uh, Patricia Burgell or Mary Eve DeCare. Or Hannah Rankin, I wouldn't mind seeing those fights. Great ass fights, but at 140 or 147, uh, not too much smoke that I could think of. I think the Katie Taylor fight, that fight would be good, but it wouldn't be that good. I just think Katie Taylor, like she would just outbox her and she would, you know, make it her fight very easily. But I think Katie Taylor, she could very well get knocked out by Chantel. Chantel has some decent level power, but it's not too at the level of like superb you know, fighting style level, so, I don't, I don't think, I don't think Chantel, Chantel is going to be that type of woman to be a, a huge, big, massive, massive threat, but she definitely has, like, a high ceiling where, like, once it's all said and done, then I'm definitely going to be like, yeah, you know what, like, I actually really did like watching her fight, and she was awesome, she, she definitely did what she, like, she, 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 she definitely did what she said that she was going to do, she's going to, you know, go this route and fight, you know, fight all the top names and yeah, you know, good for you. You know, that's like, you know, that's what I love out of like, like, you know, out of female boxing. That's something that I can respect that like, you know, out of like a woman who's not afraid to take on all challenges, win, lose or draw. So congratulations to Chantel, uh, much love and respect to her, but I definitely like to see her fight, you know, um, um, in America someday. Cause I really, you know, wanted to like, you know, um, I'd be down to go out to go see, like, a fight, you know, like, um, of her on a card, you know, potentially. But, yeah, good job, good win. But let's talk about Joshua Buwazi versus Craig Richards. Um, this fight, I, I, I really wasn't surprised with Joshua Buwazi. I'm not, you know, I'm not sold on Joshua Buwazi's performance. I thought he fought, like, absolute crap. I mean, he did a good job against Craig Richards. He was just too focused on trying to go for the knockout. And I wasn't really too surprised with them. I thought I thought Joshua Bowatsi had, you know, the skill set to make the fight a lot easier, but he really made the fight really, really hard to the point where uh Craig Richards, he just kinda like didn't implement his hit his skill set to the point where he could have made the fight a lot more difficult for Joshua. So I mean Joshua Bowatsi, congratulations, but you know, like, I'm not sold on him, man. I don't, you know, I don't think he's that good. I think, I think Joshua Boazzi, he's like one of these, like, Richard Comey type of fighters where 
he's good on the outside, but you know, on the inside, I think I think Joshua Bowatsi he gets knocked out by some dude that that could actually punch in a guy that knows how to box. Um, I think a guy like Caleb Smith could could very well knock him out. I think Joseph Smith Jr. can can easily knock him out. Um, Archer Betterbeerov and Bivol, um, he should stay away from him. Um, people say Bivol gets knocked out by Joshua Boazzi. Um Yeah, like you guys are smoking on crack, but Joshua Boazzi has no physical advantages over Dimitri Bivol, and his skill set will absolutely be destroyed by Bivol to the point where Bivol... Like, you know, the only thing that Bivol needs to do, he just needs to keep using his jab. And then once he catches Bowatsi with a good counter right hook or counter counter jab to the body, it's just game over. I don't, you know, I don't see Bivol, you know, letting a guy like Joshua Joshua Bowatsi hit him. But on top of that, let's just say Bivol, if he could take Bowatsi's best shot, Bowatsi, he's in big, like, yeah, um, he's in big trouble. Um, I think I think Bowatsi knows that Bivol, he can hit too, but... But Bivol, he's not like you know. He's not going to stand in front of you. He's going to box your ears off. But on top of that, when he gets into the rhythm, similar to you know the Joe Smith Jr. fight, I think I think that's basically what's going to happen. I think Bivol's just going to seriously outbox Bowatsi to the to the point where Bowatsi he's going to throw wild ass shots. And then the minute when he gets caught, it's just game over. I don't. Like, I don't think Joshua Bowatsi is that good, and I don't think Joshua Bowatsi is going to be that guy to to take over 175. I think Zerto could could very well knock him out. Even though that both of, like, you know, both of their styles are very similar, that could easily mesh well, but I think Zerto, he would be like the more deadlier inside fighter than Joshua Bowatsi. He's fighting guys that he can easily physically apply pressure using his size and dog-like mentality type of fighting style but put him in there with somebody that knows how to box and they're not going to let him do that and they're and they're going to push him back with a jab and then make him frustrated by making him tired into the late game heading into deep waters i see joshua boatsy getting knocked out i don't i don't see joshua boatsy being being this big mega threat that everybody tries to hype him up to be because similar to richard comey he has that same problem where he gets into weird ass exchanges where you like 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 you can easily tell that he shouldn't need to be doing that but he but he does it anyway cuz he's not using his his um intelligence to be to be smart he's actually just being reckless and being very very prideful in thinking that his his knockout power is just going to carry everywhere he goes and and that's not going that's not going to help him so I don't think Joshua Bowatsi is that good, and I would like to see my like 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 I would like to see my criticisms be wrong on him because I want to see him be great. But the problem is, is just like that he's not fighting tough tough level opposition. Leading up to Craig Richards, who has Joshua Bowatsi fought? Even though that I don't like looking at resumes to to make that to make that good comparison, but you have been fighting low level opposition. You fought Richard Balotniks. Who the hell is he? Nobody knows him. Okay, knocked him out. Daniel Blenda Dos Santos. You knocked him out of four. Okay, good job. Marco Kalik. Who is he? Nobody. Ryan Ford. Who is he? Nobody. Marco um, Marco An- Antonio per- uh, of like uh, Paribon. Who is he? Nobody. You can you can easily tell Joshua Boazzi is a domestic bred fighter. 
he's never fought outside of the like he's never fought outside of what the UK and he's never fought a top level fighter. Craig Richards, he's no top level fighter. He like he never beat any, you know, high level high level fighters. He lost to Bivol, he lost to Bawazi, and who did he beat? Nobody. I don't see any notable names here. I don't see nobody. He hasn't fought nobody. So this is exactly what I'm talking about. When you fight guys to the level of your competition, to the point where you know that these guys are not as good as they say that they are, you can easily tell they're going to get knocked out or they're going to get brutally exposed at the high level. I don't think any top 10 super like um super super high level threat fighter in the top 10 well minus Joshua Boazzi will like will ever lose to him. I think I think a guy like Anthony Yard could very well knock him out. <laughs> I don't think Joshua Boazzi is that good and I would like to be proven wrong, but I think let the right step for him is to stay away from Bivol and stay away from from Archer Betabirov. Obviously, people want to see him and Bivol next, but I think if Bivol, if he does what he did against Canelo, it's going to end up like that fight, but way worse. I see Bo I see Joshua Boatsy getting knocked out, and it's just going to be a very, very uh, destructive fight from round one all the way to round 12. And, I mean, people think Bivol's going to get knocked out by, you know, Arte Berberev. How, like, how how the hell will Bivol allow a guy like Arte Berberev, who's like who who's an extremely flat-footed fighter by the way and and he has poor ring IQ and he has poor defense he's not going to let a guy like Archer Betterbirov do that to him Dimitri Bivo will come into that fight as focused as he did against Canelo where him against Joshua Boazzi it's not going to be like a fair fight so i mean for anybody that's going to be watching this uh i think Dimitri Bivo washes Joshua Boazzi that's my final prediction, and that's my final fight analysis if that fight does get made. But credit to Joshua Boazzi, he did his thing, but uh, but I'm not sold on him. I don't I don't think his training with Virgil Hunter makes any difference. Um, I think I think Joshua Boazzi, um, he he's yet to be tested, and I don't think a fight between him and Craig Richards really made a difference. But either way, credit to him. I'd like to see what happens next. But moving forward to the David Benavidez fight card, let's talk about this really, really good fight between Luis Nunez and Jonathan Fierro. This is at 126. Luis Nunez had a great 10-round decision victory over Jonathan Fierro. Very, very, very good fight. I had a lot of fun watching this fight. Very, very good high-level victory. Uh, Jonathan Fierro, he is 18 years old with 13 fights now. He lost his fight against Luis Nunez that cruised him to a decision, but this fight was insane. Uh, there was a couple headbutts, obviously, Nunez, he's a southpaw, and, uh, or, or uh, no, 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 uh, Fierro, he's a southpaw, and, uh, like, Nunez, um, he's a orthodox, but, yeah, there was, like, a little bit of, you know, excessive headbutting in that fight, but, uh, the fight of, 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 the fight itself was absolutely, you know, um, insane, it was good. It was fun. It was uh, very, very destructive, and and I liked how Jonathan Fierro gave it his all because you know Nunez, he's a very, very good, highly credible fighter with 17 fights now, where he's 17 and 0. He he got 12 KOs. He obviously knocked out, you know, um, one of my favorite Puerto Rican fighters, Carlos Arrieta, who came from 
122 to challenge uh, Nunez at one well at 130. So yeah, I mean Nunez, he's a damn good fighter, man. You know, he's like another honestly like you know I like to say he's like a Supriel Matias mixed with a Michelle Lazarza Rivera combined because he's very very technical and he knows what he like he he knows what he's doing in there. So I definitely like to see him fight again soon, but. That win over Jonathan Fierro is gonna age well because I think Jonathan Fierro, he's gonna like he's gonna become a problem in the future, and I mean it's good that he that that he's very young in the game at 18 with four, 14 fights now, and unfortunately he lost, but this is good experience because now he's building up very very fast. So I think I think within a couple years time, you know you're gonna start seeing him grow as a fighter, very very fast. So. I like to see Jonathan Jonathan Fierro fight on Showtime cards more, and I think Showtime and the PBC they're gonna work with him. So I think honestly that's gonna be very very um, interesting to see, and uh, I can't wait for it, man. Uh, that was a good win for Luis Nunez, so I definitely like to see what he's gonna do in the future. But let's talk about the the co-main event between Yoelvis Gomez and Jorge Cota. This is a very, very good fight. I, um, I personally had a lot of fun watching this fight. And I thought um, Luis Nunez, or or no, no, no. Um, like I thought Jorge Cota gave it his all. But Yoelvis Gomez, he's a dirty fighter, man. I don't, you know, I don't think Yoelvis Gomez, he's going to really scale that high. But obviously, he's like another David Morrell type of fighter. You know, I think Yoelvis Gomez, he has a very, very high ceiling. And I think he's going to do some big boy damage at 154. But he really needs to start being a little bit less dirty, you know, in the pocket. You know, he's obviously doing that because he thinks he could just dog walk guys. But out of his six opponents total, I say Jorge Cota gave him, you know, the, the toughest problems. Jorge Cota, you know, he's a gatekeeper at this point. I don't see him to be that good of a fighter. And I knew from you know from the first round leading into the tenth round, um, it it pretty much showed Jorge Cota he's like you know he's not the same fighter anymore. Yolvis Gomez hurt him a couple times and he gave him some very very difficult difficult shots to take. But Yolvis Gomez did his thing, man. He uh, he really came to fight and he really showed his uh, Cuban style you know in full effect. Uh, came forward. He he actually boxed very very well, and he used a very very destructive jab, and he has such good reads on the mechanical offensive defensive end. So Yoelvis Gomez, he's a problem, man. I don't I don't care what anybody has to say, but Yoelvis Gomez, he is a absolute monster. But I but I don't like to see that dirty fighting. I don't I don't want to see him doing that up against a guy like Israel Madrima for. Maybe Tony Harrison or Erickson Lubin if he ever comes back, but I but I think honestly in the top fifteen he can give some guys some problems. Like I I wouldn't mind to see him face Jesse Vargas even though he got knocked out by Liam Smith, in which I don't think Jesse's gonna fight anymore. I think Jesse he's just like you know he's just done, man. I don't I don't think Jesse's not the same Jesse anymore. But I mean, if he does ever you know return, I think I think him and Yolvis Gomez is a fight to make you know within two to three fights down the line. But I think Yolvis Gomez, he's gonna be moved extremely fast. I think he's gonna be fed or he's gonna be matched up with Israel Madrimov 
or shit. I I personally wouldn't mind to see a fight between him and Liam Smith. Why not? Because Liam Smith is, is talking all this junk saying, oh, yeah, man, you know, like, I'm ready for, you know, I'm ready for, like, a world title, blah, blah, blah. Nah, man. You get, yeah, you get matched up with fucking Yoelvis Gomez. <laughs> yeah, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing that fight. Um, Jesus Ramos, he's obviously fighting um, Lucas Santa Maria. That's going to be a good-ass Mexican brawl next week on the Gervonta Tank Davis versus Rolando Romero undercard. And following other fights such as Luis El Chucho Melendez versus Eduardo Ramirez out of Mexico. So that's going to be a good Mexico versus Mexico and Mexico versus Puerto Rico showdown. Be sure to check that out. But heading back into Yoelvis Gomez, I wouldn't mind to see a fight between him and Jared Hurd. Why not? That's a good-ass fight. Or Charles Conwell. That will be a very, very difficult but amazing fight. Also, Brian Perella. Very destructive fight. I think Brian Perella would give Yoelvis Gomez a boxing lesson. But, I mean, Yoelvis Gomez would have a very, very difficult style matchup for Brian Perella. So, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Maybe Takeshi Inoue, Julian Williams. But anybody in the world title level, I think he's going to end up facing a guy like, you know, Liam Smith or maybe anybody like a Tony Harrison. Who knows? I think Yoelvis Gomez, he's ready. But I don't want to see him take a step back in competition. He's um he's only ranked 45 in box rank, but I don't really trust that trust trust those trust those you know listings anyway. But I say moving forward, he should definitely face somebody on the level of a Jared Hurd or a uh, Liam Smith. Uh, some somebody somebody like that. I don't know, but either way, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what he does because. I don't know what what he's probably going to plan to do, but it's it's going to be very interesting to see what he does in the future. So good win. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing him with those top killers very very soon. He's 24 years old and he's a like he's a very very dangerous high level threat. But very very good performance victory over Jorge Cota. All right, so let's go on with the main event and then we're going to close up the show. David Benavidez versus David Lemieux. Oh my god, this fight was absolute mayhem. David Benavidez is like the Kevin Durant of boxing. He's Tommy Hearns mixed with a Carlos Monzon type of style. Very destructive, very um, ecstatic. He really improved a lot this fight, and I think this is like the best form of David Benavidez that we can see. Um, David Benavidez is an extremely difficult fight at this point and I think the reason why is because David Benavidez he's now focused and you and you are now seeing the best form of David Benavidez he destroyed David Lemieux in three rounds his corner threw him the towel but this fight was never going to go the full distance David Lemieux very very good fighter former IBF world champion at 160 but I'm sorry at, at 168 it's a whole different level um, I personally wasn't thinking this fight was going to go the distance. I thought David Lemieux was going to get knocked out regardless. But either way, David Benavidez gave him the business. Uh, credit credit to David Lemieux. He, he really came off of like a very long layoff over a TKO win over David Zagara down in Mexico. So good for him. That was back in 2021, back in June. So like literally that, that was like literally a month before leading up to June, he he like he's almost been out of the ring for 
a full year. So I was very, very shocked that David Lemieux would take a test like David Benavides. And, I mean, he was never a super middleweight fighter to begin with. I mean, yeah, granted, you fought, you know, some decent level opposition here and there, but I was never really looking at David Lemieux to be a big, big, big prize fighter at 168. But, I mean, his record speaks for uh, um, itself. He's fought guys like Gabe, like, um, well, I'm not going to bring up Gabe Rosado, but uh, he fought Triple G. He obviously got knocked out, but he uh, beat, beat guys like Glenn Tapia, Curtis Stevens. That's a very, very huge win. Um, he beat Marco Reyes. He beat Gary O'Sullivan at the time where everybody was hyping him up to be this next big thing out of Ireland. I wasn't really too sold on him, but, you know, he's about to get exposed again by Aris Landy Lara. <laughs> but, nah, man, uh, David David Lemieux, he, he definitely earned his stripes um, in the sport. Um, like, you know, like I'm never going to forget his uh, victory over Hassan um, Endam Zhikam. Uh, 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 that, uh, that was a good win, and that was a very, very good world title victory. But leading up to the Triple G loss, I think that 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 was where his stopping point was. But he's like you know he's just been getting very very good, decent level, credible victories. So I definitely give David Lemieux his like you know his uh, flowers, and he's a like like you know he's such a good fighter, man. You know David David Lemieux's like you know not the best fighter in the world, but he's definitely one of you know the best Canadian talents out there. So I definitely have to give him his uh, stripes and. You know, like I would say that right to his face. You know, he's a very, very good, high-level fighter, and um, I respect that out of him because David Benavides gave him a lot of respect leading up to this fight. So, uh, as far as David Benavides goes, where does he go from here? Uh, does he fight Jamal Charlo? Does he fight Canelo Alvarez? Like, who, who does David Benavides target next? And I say honestly, the next best fight to make is probably Canelo. If he could push for that mandatory position where Canelo is going to have to give up the belt, then David Benavidez should probably end up being uh, the champion to be elevated, or he could end up facing like maybe Demetrius Andrade in the future, Jesse Hart. I wouldn't see a fight. I wouldn't mind seeing a fight between him and um, Edgar Berlanga. I don't think Berlanga wins, but I think Edgar Berlanga gives a decent shot. But either way, I think that's a really, really good style matchup decent style matchup to say the least for Berlanga and Benavides but I also want to mind seeing the fight between him and Caleb Plant that's a very very good difficult matchup uh David Morrell is a very very uh tough and very insane firefight reason why is because David Morrell is the only person calling out David Benavides and that's going to be a fight of uh, uh, of the um ages and I think David Benavides knows that um as a fighter but I think that's a good fight to see somewhere down the road where him and David Morrell, that's going to be like the like you know, like the Marvin Hagler type of Hearns type of fight at 168. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that fight if it ever gets made. But I think David's next step is to try to push for that Canelo fight. Because cause like we obviously know Canelo, he's not going back up to 175. I don't see him doing it. I think after the Triple G bullshit fight that, that he's going to have with him, He's just going to keep his ass sitting at 168. You know, he's going to try to become the Triple G at 168 where he's not going to give up those belts. But I'm pretty sure he is. You know, he's just going to be sitting there like a lone duck. And I think eventually Canelo, he's going to have to just give up all the belts. 
because I don't see Canelo really fighting any of these top top level guys. There's just too much dangerous smoke coming up now. You know, you got Andrade, you got Charlo, and you got David Benavides. You got you know fucking Edgar Berlanga possibly. That's gonna become a threat. David Morrell. Uh, Anthony Sims Jr., which he's a very, very dangerous threat. Ronald Ellis, he could easily come up and shock a lot of people. Christian M. Billy, he's that French dude that just beat Ronald Ronald Ellis. Kyron Davis, maybe. Isaiah Steen. Uh, I mean, there's just plenty of smoke that we haven't heard of yet. And I think eventually that time is coming very, very soon. So, I say for Canelo, he should just go ahead and just fucking, like, you know, call it quits, man, you know. That performance after Dimitri Bivo was absolute dog shit, and, and Canelo fought like crap anyway. So I, I, I was never thinking Canelo was going to be the same fighter after that loss. So I think at 168, if him and Bivo fight each other, in which I'm not so sure if that's going to happen because Bivol, he hasn't been paid yet. So that's another topic that we have to discuss some of these days leading into these episodes. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think Canelo's just gonna go ahead and fight some, <coughs> like you know, upright bum. He's gonna probably fight Triple G, and then after that, he's just gonna vacate most of his belts. Yeah, I think I think he's gonna vacate all the belts. I don't I don't see Canelo staying at 168 either. I think honestly, he could very well just go up to cruiserweight and just beat up on bums there. So I'm not too sold on him, man. I think Canelo Alvarez knows that, and I think all of his dumb you know um retarded fans and all that so that's very much it man uh congratulations to david benavides and congratulations to all the other fighters that i mentioned with their wins very very good victories and i think boxing is on a massive tear i um i'll be back again to talk about gervonta davis and rolando romero obviously i think tank is going to beat roley but I have like a really good special episode that I'm going to dedicate to Gervonta Davis. And that's going to be a very, very interesting battle, you know, between those two guys. So definitely look out for that. And I will be back with more content. But until then, uh, thank you guys for watching this episode. This is brought to you by uh, Kiernan Rodriguez, a.k.a. Um, well, <laughs> KRAD7435 on my YouTube. You guys can go check me out. Uh, please check me out over here on Red Circle, where I also have episodes uploaded to Spotify, if I'm not mistaken, and other platforms as well. So be sure to give me a follow, uh, do what you guys have to do. And yeah, man, that's pretty much it, man. Uh, salute to the mighty, mighty LDBC. And that's about it. Thank you, guys. I'll see you guys next time. Bye.